Visit RTI on the web at english.rti.org.tw. Hello and welcome to Radio Taiwan International. I'm Natalie So. Up this hour on Taiwan Today, I talk with some experts about President Tsai Ing-wen's outlook for re-election in just over a year from now. And um, the latest from the performance scene here in Taipei on Live from Taipei. But first, join us for Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. It's Friday, December 21st. And in the studio, we have Shirley Lin. Hi. Jake Chen. Hello. And I am Natalie So. We are looking forward to our famous New Year's Eve fireworks at the Taipei 101. And we'll be telling you what's new this year. Also, another unusual car accident made the news. And the latest from Taiwan's tycoon, Terry Guo, will be telling you about that. And one of our favorite basketball players, Jeremy Lin, and how he's doing. All coming up next. Okay, well, Taiwan is a big fan of Jeremy Lin. Whenever he comes to town, no matter if he's injured or whatever's going on, people are still very excited to see him. So we want to know how he's doing. Right, and I guess for all the right reasons. Uh, even in the last season where he got injured since game one of the season, he remained, I think, pretty positive throughout the year. He still uh, came to Taiwan and to China, and then he made time to meet with all the fans. It was uh, very well received. So how is he doing off the court now that the current season is halfway underway? And uh, by the way, Jeremy Lin is currently, uh, he's been traded to the Atlanta Hawks. He's playing uh, surprisingly well. This is uh, according to... This is according to Howard uh, Nechtel, a uh, sports journalist writing for Forbes. Uh, apparently, Jeremy Lin is posting his best numbers shooting-wise since uh, the Linsanity days, which really? is uh, pretty impressive considering... Yeah, he's. I think he's turning 30 this year, which is peak years normally for NBA players. The, this is pretty impressive numbers. He's shooting uh, more than 50% from the field, more than 40% from three-point line, and 81.6% from a free throw. Less than 20 people in the NBA does that. Really? Now, given he he's playing limited minutes, he's mm. I think playing eight close to 19 minutes per game. You know, if you play him 30 some minutes, it's going to be a bit more difficult to keep up those numbers. But um, this journalist uh, dive into details in how Jeremy Lin did not clearly did not waste any of the the time he spent rehabbing. Apparently, he sort of transformed his way of playing in the past, especially really? yeah in the in the early days. Jeremy Lin, as a basketball player, he's known as a transition guy, meaning once you want the ball to be brought down the court fast, like he's your go-to guy. But once the ball slows down and, and the pace of the game slows down, you know, he's not the best player that you have in your hand to sort of space the floor and to divide how players go. He's gotten a lot better this uh, season. Uh, Lin said it himself, he um, spent a lot of time training and watching film. Even during the season, which is not peak training season for most players, you train in the summertime and, you, you know, you play mostly during the season. He said, and I quote, for me, I started to turn a corner two to three weeks into the season and a lot of it comes from getting in a lot of extra work away from the games and I felt like when I was playing against other people whether it was extra workouts or practice or whatever I could start to really feel a lot of that stuff coming back so I mean even a little bit improvement 
on the court, I speak uh, of this from my own experience, takes a lot of training off the court. Mm -hmm. So kudos to this guy. I mean, he's... For not giving up, right? For not giving up. It was a pretty bad injury. It was an ACL injury, which is a bad ligament tear. And he came back. I saw his game uh, just yesterday. He's he's very strong the way he approaches the game. He's physically recovered. I'm glad to see that. wonderful. I'm happy for him and... He's very inspiring. His attitude has always been great. Yeah, right? such a even-keeled guy. He doesn't get too low or high, I notice. Right? I mean, every time he comes to Taiwan to speak, he, he does some personal sharing. He's very open about his struggles. and mm. I remember that, know, yeah. And his personal faith. And um, I think it's great that he always has a very positive attitude. Right. No matter what situation he's in. Yeah. And he's very, um, I guess, humble, you know, very real about the challenges he faces. Yeah. So I'm glad he's he's improving, looking good. And, and I'm glad basketball-wise he's doing better. And as a fan of both him on and off the court, I can't wait to see him getting more exposure, you know, uh, as he deserves in the upcoming years. I haven't been following him lately, but uh, how is he wearing his hair these days? <laughs> not as flamboyant as he did before. I'm not oh, okay. sure if that helps. But. Just, just asking. Here, what's going on with Terry Guo? He's the owner of Foxconn or Honghai, which makes all the iPads and iPhones in the world. He's one of the most richest men in Taiwan, mm-hmm. and uh, he started something new. Right. Well, um, apparently on December 19th, yesterday, no, sorry, day before, um, he was at a dinner announcing the inauguration of the NTU, the National Taiwan University Cancer Center. Um, you see, he uh, actually lost uh, two of his uh, beloved, uh, um, you know, his wife, uh, previous wife, and also his brother to uh, breast cancer and leukemia, respectively. Mm-hmm. And this was years ago. So uh, since then, he decided that he was going to establish, uh, well, before the Cancer Stem Center, he had established a Taichun Stem Cell Therapy Center. Okay, and now... Now we've got this uh, NTU Cancer Center. So the medical facility of the cancer um, actually was part of a 4.8 million U.S. dollar donation by Terry Guo um, as founder of Foxconn Technology Group's Yonglin Healthcare Foundation. Uh, This was back in 2007. Hmm. And um, so the center is going to enter a trial run before it officially opens its doors for service on July 4th. Oh, uh, USA's um, American Independence Day, 2019. So oh, okay, yeah. So it is it is pretty close to being operational. Yeah. Oh, good good to hear. So um, basically, paying tribute to Wang Yongqing, the late Taiwanese entrepreneur who uh, started the uh, you know the Formosa Plastics Tangen, and also Formosa Plastics and also the Memorial, Memorial Hospital. Hospital. You know, he had played an important role in furthering Taiwan's medical development, including building hospitals. Right. Mm. So Terry Guo hopes that the new medical center, this cancer center, will serve to contribute greatly to cancer research and treatment. So the center boasts of 15 floors above ground and four floors below ground. It's really a smart-looking building, actually, you know. And uh, it's going to be providing services spanning hospitalization, stem cell therapy, preventative health care, clinical treatment, and, of course, cancer research, and more, actually. 
So well, cancer is um, one of the biggest challenges, right, yeah. and yes. killers, right? Of people. Yeah. So it's great he's doing something useful with his money. Yeah. <laughs> Good to That's hear that. true. <laughs> and helpful to society. We hope it helps save some lives. A car accident in the news just a couple days ago. Some guy fell asleep at the wheel and destroyed four Ferraris. Well, mm. crashed into them. But now we have another one. <laughs> right. And uh, last time we checked, uh, the last gentleman was uh, over uh, 300,000 US dollars in debt in fixing those cars. So, ouch. Uh, this gentleman, um, I'm not sure if I can say he's fortunate. I mean, he survived a car accident. Uh, his car is totaled. He himself seemed okay. The, the reason, though, Made it to the news. He said, when the police uh, got to the scene, he said, uh, I was uh, smoking a cigarette and the ash got into my eyes and I was rubbing it. And by the time that he stopped rubbing it, his car no longer had a left wheel. He hit an island in, oh. in the Fengshan district of Kaohsiung uh, City in southern Taiwan. And then it was a pretty severe crash, so much so that the left wheel and part of the suspension system just flew off the car. Wow. Um, yeah, so he's lucky to survive this one. And... Interestingly enough, I checked the uh, 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 Taiwan's law. Smoking, uh, especially lighting a cigarette while driving, actually is illegal. So, well, it should be right. You can't. You get too busy. You get right distracted. There. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, people drive and smoke all the time here in Taiwan. Right. Yeah, so, uh, with the windows rolled down, you know they're smoking. Yeah, I guess there there are probably just too many cases for the police to catch. So, unfortunately for this young uh, gentleman right here, he's paying for the car, and then. Uh, on top of that, 600 new Taiwan dollars for the uh, smoking violation. So that's one lesson for him. So I think, you know, driving is one of the most dangerous things we can do, actually. We have to really be careful. I agree. To be, if you're a driver, be mindful. And, and, and to be and alert. To be a, yeah. Alert. I mean, I read that actually um, being sleepy while you drive is more dangerous than drunk driving. I've heard that too. Yeah, because uh, you, you actually close your eyes, whereas drunk driving, you're just slow to react. Yeah. So, so um, you know, driving when you're tired is also very dangerous, as we know this week. Right. So anyways, um, let's be uh, careful if we're on the road. New Year's Eve is coming up. Um, what do you guys plan to do? Are you going to watch the fireworks? Yeah, we're talking about the famous fireworks at Tapi 101, right? Right. Um, I don't know. Probably not. I'll just watch on the TV, TV. like usual. <laughs> I don't have anything planned. You have anything planned? Uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to have say. Have you that. ever been to, you know, see it live? I watched it live last year, as in the beginning oh, of last the, year. As in the beginning of this year. Right. Oh, so wait. So the beginning yeah. of 2017, sorry. Oh, okay. so, it was la- so it was last year, yeah. Uh-huh. It was very nice. Uh, me and a buddy of mine, we actually, I mean, he mostly shot photos of the fireworks, and it turned out great. From where? From a rooftop not too far from a famous spot to watch the fireworks. Okay. And uh, by the time we were 30 minutes from midnight, there was a, a good 70 people on the rooftop already just wow. waiting to see. And there are crowds of people underneath. I think there was a concert going on at the same time? Right There's next usually to one of yeah, yeah, usually, yes. In yeah. front of City Hall. We are literally on top of a building next to the concert. So we're pretty oh. close. Oh, yeah, good okay. spot. Yeah. yeah, it helps to find a good spot and also to, uh, you know, in the right direction because sometimes, you know, once the fireworks started and then maybe 30 seconds into it, the smoke 
gets blown in one direction and then you don't see That's anything. True. So you have I to know. find the right Which spot. Is the right yeah. direction. I noticed that. It depends yeah. on how the wind blows, I guess, that I mean, night. Because sometimes there's like a dragon going around the building, you know, and I, I didn't see it because uh, I was on the wrong side or something. <laughs> right. you know? I know. So well, what's anyway, up this year? Yeah, um, apparently uh, this year, the fireworks is going to have a, a slight Taiwanese touch to it. Well, actually, not just slight, a, a lot of Taiwanese touch to it, apparently. Or should I say Taiwanese flavor? Because mm, uh, it's going to be uh, having nine themes, major themes, centering around a fireworks uh, play. And so there's the night market, which will be featuring, and try to picture this, like, you know, the famous, um, you know, the giant, um, um, what is that, fried chicken cutlet? That's the Taiwanese, the you know? You know, I I don't know. So interesting. I, or maybe it's the the lighting show. <laughs> Talking about local flavor. Yeah, I mean, it's it, going to be combined with the lighting show. Right? Lighting show it too. It doesn't get any more local than that. Right, and then <laughs> also you know, in the air. yeah, some of the local eats and bu- uh, the bubble tea, bubble and tea also in the, air. the 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 soup dumplings. You know, the the mini small soup dumplings. Soup dumplings so, in the air. So bao, yeah. Th- this reminds me of that old Chinese idiom, you know, like Wang Mei Zhi seeing something to feel like you eat it. Now, they're <laughs> taking it. Enough, they're right? taking it quite literally. Yeah. Maybe that's the whole reason why they decide to <laughs> they, have this time's flavor touch to it, right, right? This time. So this year's fireworks, uh, there's going to be sixteen thousand uh, shots at fireworks. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then there's going to be a total of thirty. It's going to go last for thirty three hundred sixty seconds, which is sixty seconds more than last year. Okay. Or it's past getting longer. Years. Yeah. Good. It's getting longer. So they are coordinating with, I mean, the, uh, you know, the management at Taipei 101 is coordinated with several different uh, experts in different fields, crossing different fields. So there's going to be great music and also light show and whatnot. And, um, oh, oh, well, okay. So the nine themes also include like the different professions in Taiwan and also geography wow. and medical and the tech, you know, the high tech side of things. And then um, uh, Fruit Kingdom, well, town is, you know, like Fruit Kingdom of several different kinds of fruits. It's endemic to Taiwan. And then about uh, freedom and democracy and about religion and power and diversity. So they're going to cover all this in a fireworks show. (laughs) In a fireworks. Try to imagine. That's quite amazing. Okay. Well, I guess because, you know, we're a a country that's pretty, that's got great religious freedom. And I think we want to bring that out, I guess. And also the fact that we're really emphasizing on diversity. Diversity, whatever that means, you know, in, in different fields, and of course. And all this is going to be blown in the air, <laughs> in, in the fireworks. Can't yeah. wait to see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Right now, we can only just uh, play with our imagination. All right. Well, we're always doing new things here in Taiwan. And uh, thanks for joining us. Do stay tuned for Taiwan Today, live from Taipei and Newsmakers. We'll see you at the end of the hour. I'm Natalie So. I'm Shirley Lin. And I'm Jake Chen. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International from Taipei, Taiwan. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. 
Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Taiwan just had its midterm elections at the end of last month, where the ruling Democrat Progressive Party saw a major defeat. Presidential elections are only 13 months away. What is the outlook now for President Tsai Ing-wen's re-election? Well, today I speak with two political scientists to get their perspectives. First, we hear from Ling Zongbing of Danjiang University. I think President Tsai will be re-elected. Really? It is a big blow to DPP, certainly, but we should not ignore three other factors. First of all, Tsai has been known to show resilience. She lost, uh, regrettably, in 2012, remember? Yeah, and she she gave a great speech, too. And she won back, (laughs) stood up beautifully four years later. Secondly, the party, the DVP, is known for resilience and unity in adversity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, the other factor is uh, the KMT hybrid, shall we say, has a track record of not cooperating well among themselves. Unless a miracle happens, that past behavior may repeat itself. That does not bode well for the KMT presidential candidate coming up in 2020. Thirdly, the real bright spots in KMT camp will be busy working on their newly gained turf, Kaohsiung and Taichung, uh, namely Mr. Han Guoyu and the county magistrate of Taichung, or the city, uh, will not run for the election because they need more time to show that they can achieve economic uh, improvement in either Kaohsiung and Taichung and other places. Therefore, the likelihood of President Tsai elected, I think, is very hard to be. Hmm. So you don't think uh, KMT has a, a good rival for her? It is difficult. The real rivals will be busy on the counties and cities. They will not go to the mm. presidential election. And uh, these are just elected. They still have at least two years to go by 2020. And it's too much a risk for them to abandon the good thing at hand and, and compete or trying to get something higher. What about the failure happens? They, they don't have anything. So, but, you know, China has, coming, has been coming down very hard on uh, President Tsai's administration. Do you think that people will be concerned about that and just want to vote for the KMT? For better relations uh, with China. We have already been seeing that within the DPP camp, there are a lot of uh, new opinions, shall we say, mm-hmm. if not criticism. <laughs> so I think uh, President Tsai does not need to say herself, we need to modify or adjust our mainland policy, but the party would do it for her. And by then, when they're going to have a in intra-party meeting, right, of the all the factions. Maybe when that happens, there will be a group opinion showing that we may want to modify our mainland policy. And President Tsai would say, okay, I would respect your opinion, I'll go along. She will not go as far as to say there is a 92 consensus. Right. But there's, there's so many other likelihood. For her to show some kind of leeway to Beijing, uh, for instance, a one cultural China, 
Oh. One future <laughs> China. Are okay? you on her Whatever. There are many ways of playing this. <laughs> uh-huh. As long as you have the intention, you can play it. Uh-huh. The Chinese are very rich language. There are a lot of ways to go around obstacles. But do you think China is open to dialogue with the DPP? They have not admitted, but I think they want to because uh-huh. they, up to this election, they actually have written off the KMT. Oh. And uh, Really? How do you know? Uh, well, at that time, Beijing's impression of KMT were the old guards. Mm-hmm. They did not see the rising stars like what we see now. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it is uh, logical for them to say, okay, uh, to, to, to put hope on KMT, it's uh, not very assured. Right, right. Beijing has always wanted to have a secret conduit with Tsai, but Tsai turned them down. And uh, for Beijing, I think it's better to have some kind of opening in Taiwan policy before too late. Well, of course, you can say Mr. Xi will stay on forever. (laughs) But... (laughs) It seems like it. (laughs) If I were him... For a long time. If I see an opening, I would go for it Uh with... uh, with DPP, I would go for it. So there, you think there is a possibility of engagement between DPP and China eventually? I n- have never written that off. Yeah, it just seems like not right now, or hasn't yeah. been that way. On the other hand, years. people haven't ignored last year. Our president showed a lot of a, uh, restraint and showed she was very prudent. For instance, the foreign minister, Dr. David Lee, said in March that uh, the Diaoyutai or Senkaku Islands are the territories of Republic of China. That was the very first time these words coming out of the mouth of a DPP administration officials. You remember it was March Hmm, 2017. Mm -hmm. In the same month, the highest-ranking Japanese official since the breaking of relations between Japan and Taiwan came to Taipei, he was not received by our president. What does that mean? It means that President Tsai was very prudent. She did not want to provoke Beijing unnecessarily. Right. So we'll see if there's a way they can uh, talk Mm -hmm. eventually. Do you think it will happen in this term? Before 2020? Mm -hmm. It is difficult because uh, very soon... Here, people will be busy working on the re-election. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, thank you so much, Professor Lin, for your thoughts. Well, thank very you for interesting. That was Professor Ling Zongbing of Danjiang University's Graduate Institute of International Affairs and Strategic Studies. Next, we hear from political scientist Yu Qixing of National Zhengzhou University. The Sound of the Amis Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan Today with Natalie So.
In just 13 months, Taiwan will elect its next president. What is the outlook for President Tsai Ing-wen after her party suffered a major defeat in the midterm elections in November? Political scientist Yu Jixing of National Zhengzhou University gives us his views. Well, on the one hand, for the DPP, President Tsai, she has stepped down from the party chair, but she's still the most competitive one with the DPP because she's the uh, executive president and she still has the opportunity to run for re-election, that's for sure. On the other hand, for the KMT, the uh, 2018 victory does bring some uh, bright lights for the KMT, but the problem is that, well, they do have some internal uh, power struggle within some major candidate. Perhaps the KMT has some good opportunity to win in 2020. But before that, they have to settle down some workable selection method for the presidential candidate. If they didn't do that, then, well, uh, well, it's not that easy for the KMT to win election in 2020. Last time, it was kind of a mess, the way they selected it, right? And they changed yes. it. yes. So are they going to um, have a reform of the way they select the process, or, or what do you know of the situation? You know, the problem is that when I get a fear that the local election this time, they did a good job, they might be too, well, self-proud or self-satisfied, and they will say that, well, we just put any candidate will win the election in 2020. And that would be a mistake. Right. And uh, the problem is that, well, they have uh, some potential and a very powerful presidential candidate, but they don't communicate with each other. So they got to set up the final uh, selection method to choose the right candidate for the uh, 2020. Otherwise, the situation in 2016 may be repeated again. So who are the major candidates? Right now, maybe Eric Chu. The, uh, he is he now was the one last uh, time, right? Yeah, he, he was finished his second term in the uh, New Taipei City. Right, he's and free now. And <laughs> also the current party chairman. Oh, Dr. Don Yi. Uh-huh. But he has some problem in popularity. But still some other KMT-friendly candidate, Zhang Fanzheng. He's not a KMT member, but he enjoys quite popularity in, in Taiwan. So they got to do something to negotiate, to compromise, and try to find out which one will be uh, the, the final representative for the KMT. Um, and one last question. I mean, the, uh, you know, the DPP was warning that China was influencing the elections. What do you think about that? I agree. This election could signal some, I don't say wrong message, but it should be not that correct message to Beijing government because Beijing government would see that the defeat of the DPP is to prove its policy was correct to isolate mm-hmm. the, the DPP government right. internationally or domestically. Mm-hmm. But it's not totally true because this election is more like a domestic issues. That's one thing. The other is that, well, right now, the KMT county ministry or the city mayor elected, they would organize a committee or a small group to communicate with Beijing government, that will also strengthen the Beijing's belief that, well, they just deal with the uh, KMT people, not the TPP people, that will work for the final invocation or for, for the uh, political purpose. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this is a good strategy for the Beijing government. So, um, Why not? It seems to be working. <laughs> well, there are always some different opinions in Taiwan. If we speak to some political interaction between two sides, well, people in, in Taiwan will turn a little bit conservative. 
And, and do you think that China influenced the election through fake news and, and other manipulation of the media, social media, and the like? That, that's that's possible, but it's not. It's very difficult to verify. And uh, we do see uh, in a, in the campaign process, we do see uh, lots of fake news or some different news. We are not able to identify where it comes from or, or whatever it is. But these news, they are not that true in, in Taiwan. Or they are only partially true. That's the problem right now. So, um, do you think that China has a big influence on our elections? They try, mm-hmm. and uh, it's expendable. But right now we are try to say news uh, maybe come from many China, maybe come from other countries, and they try to influence Taiwan. But Taiwan, the, the candidate in each camp, in each camp they try to to denounce that or to respond to the public, say that well we do see some fake news, and also the government try to do something. We can expect that in the year 2020 still some fake news or some influence or some media influence from mainland China. And that's for sure. And I think that will be a very important issue in the yeah, 2020 election. So do you think it would be very hard for the DPP to keep its uh, power in the presidential election? Right now, it looks like this way. Yeah, mm-hmm. do some, They do have some difficulties because uh, it's not that easy to change the party's popular support within less than 14 months. Mm-hmm. It's not that easy. Those are the perspectives of political scientist Yu Qingxing at National Zhengzhi University. But very soon we'll be hearing about candidates for the next presidential election in January 2020. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm, what do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. Where's my Welcome to Live from Taipei. I'm Charlie Starrer. At the Taipei Story Slam event held on October 25th this year at the Sappho Live Jazz Bar, the topic of the month was Where the Hell Am I? And for debutante storyteller Tennyson, a long-standing dream to take part in the famous running of the bulls in Pamplona, quickly descended into asking himself, what he'd gotten himself into. Alas, sorry, tonight. Uh, is your first time at, at uh, Story Slam, I think? Yeah, yeah. Please welcome Tennyson, everybody. Um, hey, everyone, I'm Tennyson. I was not planning on doing a story tonight, so this is kind of like a spur of the moment thing. So uh, we're going to see how this goes. Um, I'm usually not a big fan of audience participation, but has anyone here uh, blacked out from drinking? 
before. No? Yes? Okay. All right. This story's not about that, but it's going to come back in handy um, in a little bit. Uh, so similar was it, Eris? Eris? Uh, this actually takes place very close to your story. Uh, not in Bilbao, but in Pamplona, uh, not super far away, uh, during the running of the Bulls. So in 2016, um, I had a terrible breakup. Um, and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this one thing that I'm planning on doing in my entire life. I'm going to go do the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. So um, I'm not sure if you guys are like familiar with the structure of running the Bulls. It happens in Pamplona. They like kind of wall off the... Uh, streets of the city uh, and you they release the bulls at one part and they run through they get to the stadium and they have the bullfights later on in the evening so I watch it the first day and it's like okay cool I can do this I'm fine um, in my heart I'm like I think I can do this uh, I use a run you know it's fine like I got this like I can outrun a bull I can't outrun a bull I can outrun a bull in my head at this point and the best way I can describe this story is it happens in three and a half parts. Part one is you're kind of standing there in place and to signal the bulls running, they have two things. There's a firework that goes off to let them know that the pens have been opened. And there's a second firework that goes off uh, to let, them, let you know that the bulls have started running from the pen. So first firework goes off, I'm like super excited. I'm like, yes, like, okay, this is really cool. You know, you don't really see people running because they're waiting for the bulls to kind of catch up. So you don't really see people running. You're kind of just looking back over your shoulder and you're like, this is gonna be fine, this is fine. Everything's fine. Um, and then you hear the second one go off and you kind of see people like briskly jogging, but like not running super fast. And you kind of like, okay, well, maybe I should start moving. You start moving and you like look way back in the distance and you can kind of see the bulls. Right, so like kind of like jogging burst, like, oh, this is super fun, this is a really good idea, I'm really happy that I did this. And that lasts for maybe about, uh, I want to say like 30 seconds or so. Um, and then part two is you're kind of jogging a little bit brisker and you see people running past you faster and faster. And instead of looking back and seeing them, you know, like 100 meters away or so, they're like, within enough sight distance that you're like, oh, okay, those are like actual bulls that are chasing me. It's not not pretend anymore. It's like, oh no, there are bulls there, but no, it's fine. You know, people are still kind of jogging briskly. Everything's okay. Then you get to part, get to part three. And that's when you start seeing people sprinting past you. So instead of like jogging briskly, you know, kind of being comfortable about this, like you see people running as fast as they can past you. And they're not, 80 meters behind you anymore. They're like 50 meters behind you, and you kind of start running, running. Like, not like pretend running, not jogging, like actually running. But you keep looking over your shoulder, like, how far are they? How far are they? How far are they? And then, three and a half parts, there is a moment where you look back one last time, and instead of being 50 meters behind you, they're like right there, and you turn forward, and you run as fast as you can in this direction and you never look back again. So that is exactly what happened. I turn forward and I run as fast as I can and there's this uh, there's this corner. If any of you guys have seen the bull runs, there's a corner where the bulls kind of slide into a wall and going into that corner, I'm running, running, running and there's a longer story behind this but something happened in the race previously. So the bulls aren't running in one direction anymore, they're running in two directions now. So they're running behind you and they're running towards you. So someone is running away from them probably to save their own life and they clip my left leg 
and I go headfirst into the corner of the doorway. So remember when I asked, has anyone like blacked out from drinking? Uh, you know, like how when uh, you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, like you kind of looking around, and you're in a bed, or you're like on a sofa or something. And you're like, like what's happening? I hit the doorway and I come up, and for like a millisecond, I'm like, where the f am I? And I touch my head, and I'm bleeding from the top of my head. And I look up, and there's a bull 10 meters in front of me, and there's a bull one meter directly to my right. And he is flipping a person over. And you have to remember, like, this is like not like I knew it was happening 10 seconds ago. This is, instead of waking up in your bed, I woke up in Pamplona, Spain, uh, with a bull uh, meter ahead of me. So the bull flips the guy and turns towards me. So I'm sitting in this corner, my head's bleeding, bull's facing me. And if you've ever been in a life or death situation before, weirdly time slows down. It's like you have like, you know, an hour to make decisions that happen in seconds for other people. So I have three options, right? So I'm sitting in this corner, I'm standing up, bull's flip somebody, it's facing me now. What do I do? You know, like, how do, how, how do I get out of this? Like, how do I not die right now is the big thing in my mind. So option one is to kind of try to make a move to the right. There's a wall next to me. I can't do it. Option two is there I can, you know, maybe somehow try to hurdle the bull and do some kind of, you know, daredevils type backflip. I, I don't have the ability for that, so cancel that one immediately. Option three is there's another bull getting up, facing towards me. And now I have to make the decision to run towards this bull. So to explain this a little bit further, there is a slatted wall that's about maybe 10 feet high on the corners uh, because they bar off the corners of the uh, of the streets. Um, which if you get over it, bulls can't run into. So I make the timely decision to turn and run towards the bull that's charging me. I make the quickest Euro step move in my life. I fake, I fake right, move left. The bull passes, I have a scar on my um, right side uh, from where it hit me. I get past the bull and there's another one charging towards me. I take two steps, jump over the fence head first, and on my way down, a police officer catches me and writes me and stands me up. And he's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, don't worry about it, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, I'm at this point, like, I'm like covered in blood because, you know, my head's bleeding, like, my hands are bloody, my pants are ripped. And he's like, okay, cool, things are fine. The bull crashes into the gate immediately behind me. A couple seconds later, bull runs off, they open the gate, they pull the guy that got flipped in. He got mildly gored, he was only like kinda, he was just missing some of this part, he was fine though. Uh, and then, uh, I don't have a good way to end the story actually. I'm, I've been working on this for a bit, um, since I've been sitting over there, I'm trying to figure out how to end the story. Oh, actually, no, the, uh, here we go. Um, uh, here's a plus for uh, universal healthcare. Um, <laughs> So they put me in the back of an ambulance and send me to the 
uh, hospital. And I'm like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, don't worry about it, I'm okay. Like, because I'm thinking, like, if I have to go to the hospital, like, it's going to cost me, like, $100,000, and I don't really have that kind of, like, uh, pocket change to, you know, uh, spend on this trip right now. So get in the back of an ambulance. Um, I get there. I get seven staples on the top of my head. Um, and then they just let me leave. And I'm like, are, are you sure? Like, don't I have to pay somebody? Like, is there not, like, how does, no, 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 you're fine. Just, just go home. So I left. And that, that is how I uh, did not die in uh, Pamplona. So um, I'd like to thank Universal Healthcare. And I'd like to thank Spain um, for keeping me alive this trip. So that is my story. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Write us at PO Box 123-199. Taipei, Taiwan, ROC. ROC. Newsmakers, a look at Taiwan's movers and shakers. Taiwanese baker Wu Baochun has been in the spotlight recently after making a controversial statement. Last week, Wu posted a statement on his official website calling himself a baker who was born in Taiwan, China. Wu said he is very proud of being Chinese and that the two sides across the Taiwan Strait are one family. Wu recently opened a bakery in Shanghai, but he has faced opposition from Chinese web users who accuse him of supporting Taiwan independence. At a press conference in the southern city of Kaohsiung, Wu said his expertise is to make bread, adding that the world of bread making is fairly simple. Wu also said he is very honored that a lot of young people have chosen pastry because of him and that he has the responsibility of creating a bigger market for them. Wu's comments have received a mixed response from the public. While he has been under fire from pro-independence activists for kowtowing to China, some political analysts call for unity. They said leading a witch hunt against a baker will only fall into China's trap of using political warfare to divide Taiwan. President Tsai Ing-wen said China's political persecution of Taiwan has caused cross-strait ties to move backward. Tsai said Wu's case reflects a phenomenon that exists in daily life for Taiwanese people. She accused China of using politics to put pressure on trade and economic activities. Tsai said, Taiwan has time and again seen someone making an almost standardized statement under coercion. Wu's case has triggered a controversy over Taiwan independence versus reunification with China. Leading Chinese dissident Wang Dan said, it is clear that the baker made a statement under pressure. Wang said, although the baker's choice of money over dignity is quite disappointing, it is understandable and that he felt sorry for him. China's Taiwan Affairs Office called Wu's statement correct understanding and normal emotions. China accused a ruling Democratic Progressive Party and pro-independence activists for their onslaught on the baker, calling it political persecution. In another statement, Wu said, a small bakery like his is not capable of solving cross-strait issues. Wu Baochun won the title of bakery master in the bread category at the Bakery World Cup in Paris in 2010, defeating chefs from 17 countries to win the title.
Thank you for listening to our programs here today at Radio Taiwan International. I'm Nellie So, back here with Shirley Lin and Jake Chen. And we're going to leave you with one more thing. Well, there's a nice grandma in Taiwan who loves to help stray dogs. Over a hundred of them, actually. Tell us more about her, Jake. Right. Uh, you know, fortunately, this uh, grandma, her name is Ashu, uh, who currently lives in Taichung City. She's uh, hit a, a little bit of a snag recently. Uh, let's uh, rewind a little bit to see how this all started in 21 years ago. At the time, Ashu was working at a local pharmaceutical company. She was making a decent living had a, a family, two kids, so everything was going well for her. Uh, all that changed when she saw an amputated dog lying on the side of the road, and uh, she just she couldn't help it. She took it back home, and that started her journey of taking care of stray dogs. A, a lot of our listeners probably know already, Taiwan has a pretty bad stray dog situation because owners tend to adopt uh, dogs as pets and just give them away. Uh, sort of not give them away. Wrong word. It just abandon, abandon them, abandon. you know, when they are not so cute anymore, I, I guess. Which has you know, if you go to rural areas, you know, it, you see them just in in large bunches, you know, all over the place. Oh, I've seen them so sad. often in Hualien and on the edge of Taipei City. Now, so uh, Ashi believes believes that she should you know take the problem into her own hands, and she did. Um, over the years, she's uh, found uh, sort of affordable areas where she can um, keep the dogs and, and try to keep feeding them and try to give them a safe haven. And uh, currently, she takes care of close to 150 dogs. That's amazing. Over in one place. In well, one where does she in, keep them, and how does she keep track of them? <laughs> in several, in several places. Yeah, she oh, tried to find wow. affordable places because uh, t- that takes uh, away her ability to make income as well. Because it, it just takes so much time and energy. Sure. Um, she so she gave up her job uh, over the years. This is really uh, impressive. She's taken care of over six hundred dogs in the last twenty something years. Wow. Her, wow. She relies mostly on her saving some rent income and a lot of donation from uh, supporters on the internet. She has a, a Facebook group, and it's not cheap. She tried to keep everything affordable, but it still costs more than we're talking about food, costing more than thirty thousand new Taiwan dollars per month. You know, for over a hundred dogs, and uh, medications, which varies between ten grand or a bit more. So. She recently has been told that she's going to have to move. I mean, not just herself, her, all her dogs, because the person that she thought was the landlord from where she rented a place wasn't the landlord. And so the actual landlord is telling her to move. So uh, unfortunately, I couldn't end the story on a high point. She's currently asking people on the Internet to help her find a place to, I mean, not just for her, for the over 100 dogs that she's currently taking care of. And she's in her, she just turned 70. So uh you know, the more hands we can have on deck. Here's a photo of her. Very nice lady. Um, the, and here's a photo of her dogs. The more hands we have on deck, the, the better. There are so many people who just really love animals. And I know of this tailor in my neighborhood. Mm. I go to her to alter my clothes all the time. Oh, nice. And, um, you know, if I go in the morning before I come into work, usually I don't find her there. Because she goes around and she makes the rounds every morning to feed some stray cats. She owns some cats herself too, but uh, she actually goes to like maybe two or three other different places to uh, feed the cats and everything in the mornings, and that's like her her routine every morning. That's nice of her. Yeah. So I don't know how that started, but uh, she she said that she keeps some in her apartment, but she couldn't keep, keep them all. So there are others, and I guess you know once they befriend you, they'll just show up at the time when they know that you're going to be there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing. 
it's unfortunate that you know we don't have a, a sort of a systemized infrastructure to, to keep them not only fed but healthy. Like it's, you would think the uh, shelters should be working with her, right? Shelters, these dogs across Taiwan, as far as I know, are just overpopulated. Over, we yeah, do have shelters. Oh, it's amazing. But we don't have. She can do enough, this on her own. Yeah, right? place and uh, people to take care of that. So wow. well, yeah. she definitely needs our help. And uh, Jake Chen, thank you for bringing her story to our attention. And uh, thank you for joining us um, on Radio Taiwan International. Tomorrow we have Curious John live from the studio and Feast Meets West. We hope you'll join us tomorrow. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.